I'm sitting at the table with my family yeah. and they're like, Mike, you just sit on the computer all day. What do you actually do for work? Mm -hmm. What I say is that I help software brands get found on Google. I've actually had like two people in my life send me links yeah. to articles that I've written because they searched for something and it came up and they're like, like, mm -hmm. this is what you do. I was like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you are now listening to Marketing Nova Wine, a podcast where I chat with the marketers behind the companies and the campaigns you see in the world today. They share everything, how they got into marketing, the strategies and the tools that they use, how they charge for their services, and the mistakes and successes they have made in their career. Each episode is unfiltered and a masterclass. So come join us. I am your host as always, Olawomi Olaniye. Hello and welcome to the Marketing Over Wine podcast. On today's episode, I have Mike Kinnan, a SaaS content marketer and SEO, joining me on this show. Mike has worked with several brands like Shopify, Descript, Help Scout, Fiverr, Segment, Aura, WorkRamp, and so many others. And he's helped them get new users from Google and turn them into paid accounts. Mike is also the co-founder of Peak Freelance. And I dare say that's a very popular freelance writing community. I'm a part of it. And he also co-hosts Freelance Beaters with Ashley Cummins. Thank you for joining me, Mike. Wow, what an introduction. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you did a lot of the legwork there already, but you know, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's that's kind of been my story. I've been I've been at it for about little about ten years now. Wow. And yeah, and I started off as a writer. Okay. And like writing on Upwork, right? Mm -hmm. And pitching for twenty five dollar articles online. <laughs> um, and then over over the course of a decade, yeah, it kind of turned into this whole thing. I don't even really know how it happened, but here it is and it's even grown like now we have an agency and everything like, like a little agency which is kind of like the an extension of my freelance work okay um in a lot of ways so yeah i'm excited to get into some of uh some of the things that we we discussed before this all right then when i reached out to you on slack i had a theory that you studying psychology as your first degree mm -hmm. was or may or may not have impacted your journey as a marketer mm -hmm. and you mentioned that working in restaurants for 10 years even helped you more than your degree Mm -hmm. So I did more research and I also found out that besides working in restaurants, which you started at 12, you have also been a waiter, you've been a bartender, you've been a caterer, and you've also worked in customer support and so many other things. But what exactly drew you to marketing and how did your journey in this field begin? Yeah, so I think what had happened was I had been tired of, so yeah, as you noted, I did, I grew up in restaurants. Um, my mom worked in restaurants. Yeah. We have a lot of just like restaurant workers in the family. So she got me into working in restaurants when I was about 12. Yeah. Um, and moving, Moving throughout the years, I think when, you know, when I was about like 22, 23, I was starting to get kind of tired of it. Yeah. Um, just working in restaurants because, yeah, like I've managed restaurants in big cities throughout the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, and again, like you said, bartending bus. I've cleaned the kitchen floor with toothbrushes before wow. back when I was in high school, like a legit toothbrush <laughs> cleaning, cleaning gunk off the floor. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, it was just after a while, like I was ready for a change and I was living in Portland at the time and I had a lot of friends like Portland is where I think some of the like digital nomad people kind of like began like the movement began um, in a lot of ways and a lot of people were freelancers okay um, and they were like you know hanging out with, it was the typical the typical thing back then it was like everyone's hanging out in cafes and yeah they could just go to a bar and work online and everything so I was interested so I was chatting with a friend there and I was like like what do you do like how can I get into this uh, and they had said think about your skills right like think about what skills you're good at and what you like what you've done in the past so again like the psychology degree uh, like at that point was out the window um, <laughs> and I kind of had to lean into the things that I was already like that I was kind of good at and that was like relationships being able to treat customers the right way make sure they're getting what they need all these things that happen in restaurants and then also like you had mentioned that was a brief brief stint doing like online customer support um, that was within the whole freelance journey so I, that's kind of how I started making a little bit of money on the side like doing that customer support 
And then, yeah, I just, I kind of went on Upwork and it's again, like Upwork is not the same as it was. Honestly. Uh, not the same now as it was back then. It was right when, when it was Elance, which was before Upwork. Yeah. Um, and it was a little different, little different of a, of a game. So the long story short is that I started getting, um, I just started writing articles about things I knew. I was, I was familiar, I was more familiar then with yoga. So I was doing, I was writing like these $25 pop articles about yoga. Okay. Uh, the benefits of water. Water was like another one no bylines no nothing <laughs> i don't even know where i don't know where these articles went yeah it was just someone paid me for them and then they deposited <laughs> the money into my account uh -huh. the up uh, elance which became upwork throughout that time um took their 20 percent or whatever it was yeah. and i was left with like beer money <laughs> um so so that's how it started and then that's what got me into marketing in general was like the writing element of it uh, and i think as most most writers eventually kind of it depends like it depends on how motivated or what your like aspirations are for writing some people prefer to stay the course of a writer and that's for them you know and it works for a lot of people yeah uh, but other people kind of want a little more just to switch it up it evolve you know yeah. so kind of taking those skills as a writer i learned more seo i learned more about um, content management and operations and i've kind of took all that with me along the years uh, which has kind of like come to this kind of like where I am right content now. Marketing. Yeah, content marketing person. Yeah. So, and at the moment, um, I actually I do have a freelance like my freelance business, and then I have the separate agency. Okay. Um, and the freelance does a lot of like smaller projects and consulting, and then the agency does bigger lit projects. So we're working with like ten to twelve contractors per project on the agency, but it's a very small. It's very small. It only picks up like two, three clients at a time. Okay. Um, and so yeah, so if, I'm kind of like in this in between right now, but this is the way I. I like to work. Okay. I don't want, I've never been the type of person to like want a big mega agency. I've never had that aspiration. I just want a workflow that works for me. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I've landed myself here all the way from the beginning. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you, just ask you because you didn't even have any idea about at the beginning, how did you start all of those? Did you take any course to teach yourself how to write? Not for writing. Uh, and I think that's because here's actually where my, my my degree, degree played in, in. Okay. all in with me. Yeah, like that's because I know you mentioned it. So I actually, I used to write research papers in college oh, okay. and I worked in a research lab. Um, so I used to run participants and do write-ups for obviously the, the professor. Yeah. Um, and that's where I learned how to do like, that's just where I learned how to write good. Okay. You know, was by writing the research papers. Yeah. And I always got good marks on the research papers. So I kind of had like some idea of how to write already. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, when people are paying you $25 for an article, I don't even know if those early articles were good but they were good enough to pass yeah so the courses actually there were two two things that i learned one was actually working with this client they're a luxury brand out of australia they helped me learn seo side SEO, like more seo writing yeah and then i also did back in the day i took a ref's blogging course oh okay um and like because they teach you yeah and that's like the amalgamation of everything like seo and blogging and everything and it's free so that was actually one of the courses that i've taken um and i haven't taken I signed up for another course, but I never took it, which is bad. As someone, as someone, as someone you know who has courses we're, we're for sale, we've all been there. Yeah, so I don't even remember the course, but it sounded interesting at the time. Um, but I don't remember what it was, but I never took it. But I think, yeah, like practical experience is the best course that you can do, you know. Yeah. And then following through on like the AREF stuff, they also have AREFs also has an amazing, amazing blog um, where if you want to just learn SEO stuff like outside of standard course. Mm -hmm. um, I did. I learned so much through AREFs. Um, everything back early on. This feels like a, a shout out to AREF. Uh, you know, uh, they should pay. They should bring their coins, by the way, for these free adverts. Well, here's the kicker, and I hate to admit it, but I don't use AREFs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that, but they did give me a lot during the day, so I'll All drink right. a little. I'll drink a little tequila since we're on an alcohol Chest to podcast. That. Chest to that. that. <laughs> I'm sorry, AREFs, but yeah, I'm not going to say who I use now. But like, I don't want to promote another brand. Yeah. But yeah, I have. I've stopped using. AREFs over the years. Um, however, anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> a quick thing to add if you haven't subscribed yet and you love the content of marketing of wine please do so and share with all your friends now let's get back to the episode so if you were to explain what you do today to let's say a five-year-old mm-hmm. or in layman terms how would you describe SaaS content marketing it feels like a buzzword that we hear a lot on twitter mm-hmm. almost everyone says if you're in content marketing people most likely think that oh yeah you're a SaaS content marketer so what does that word mean what do you do sure so if i'm sitting at the table with my family yeah right and they're like it's thanksgiving mike you just sit on the yeah you thanksgiving you just sit on the computer all day like what do you actually do for work Mm -hmm. Um, what I say is that I help software brands get found on Google because everyone has searched something on Google before and that's that's the basic way that I say I help software brands get found on Google I do it through writing articles and making sure that when you search for like how to how to water plants and I give them like an example that they would know because obviously like my mom is not searching for how to mix audio because you know (laughs) I mean actually she likes to play good guitar so that's a bad example but a good example like things that like how to water your outdoor plants you know or how to water a monstera like and i'll say like i'll use a query like that and say like when you search that the first brand that you want to see is like that's what i try to get them to Um, and that's how i explain it to everybody um because yeah like in our own jargon it's easy to understand but yeah yeah, at the end of the day like we just get brands found on google and then their goal is either free users or paid users that's up to them what they decide you know what they're what their uh their content marketing customer goal. journey looks like yeah what their content marketing goals are all right then speaking of which what are some of the misconceptions that you've probably had people say about what you do that i do nothing <laughs> <laughs> that i do nothing okay that um and then now since everyone knows chat gpt that i just make chat gpt write all the articles for me which <laughs> obviously if any of us anyone that actually works in our industry would know that that's not possible yeah um, um, and I mean, there's no one that like my family doesn't. I've actually had some like two people in my life so far send me links to articles that I've written because they searched for something and it came up and they're like, yeah. oh, you actually like this is what mm-hmm. you do. I was like, yeah, there you go. There's an example <laughs> of what I do. Yeah. But yeah, the, the misconception is that I do nothing that I just like I just sit down in the morning. You know, I have my every day. I have my phone. Yeah, I have my coffee. Maybe I write like a thousand words and then I make a thousand dollars just poof like that. Um, <laughs> Um, and we all know that's not the case. Yeah. So uh, that is the biggest misconception. Um, and then I think like small on a smaller scale, like a lot of people, like for example, I have friends in like manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think like they're familiar-ish with SEO and they think I do like, do you do landing pages? Like they have some, so like, I think sometimes that gets a little confused with like landing page, yeah. um, which I do. Copywriting and all that. Yeah, exactly. Copy and content. Those would be the two, like a, a, like a lower level misconception. And that's not exactly wrong, but I don't I don't do copywriting, but I will offer like landing page optimization yeah. for clients if they need it. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like a common. It's more just like a because it helps me. It helps. It actually, if I'm optimizing their landing pages. It helps improve my results <laughs> at the end of the day. So I don't write I don't write landing pages from scratch anymore, though I haven't in a long time. Um, it's just not my thing. All right, then. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Back then. Amy, Amy Facion, I think, uh-huh. she once commented that you are great at writing content that rack up conversions. Wow, that was a name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> we do our research, we do our research. I, I had to pull out the Rolodex there. I was like, oh my God, Amy? Like, I was like... <laughs> All right, so how do you do it? What is the secret recipe to writing content that converts and not just rack up traffic? Um, yeah, well, the traffic part is the standard, right? Like, yeah. make sure you're writing relevant content content for a search query. Um, but what I do and what I think people come to me for, because this is also what I like talk about when I'm on a sales call with a software brand, mm-hmm. um, is that we do, especially like, for example, within the agency, uh, we have an entire QA layer of content production process that is just dedicated to putting product content into the articles. Because okay. you, can't, you can't expect a writer to know everything about a brand. Yeah. And you can't expect 12 to 15 freelance is working on a product to know every single product detail you know so yeah. what i've done in the agency side of things which is also what i do like in my own freelance up and what i've been doing for a while is i'm always making sure i'm going through the help docs i'm going through everything for this client and i'm making sure that their product is represented well in the articles not in like a 
showboaty, like look at what we can do type way, yeah. but it's a normal integration that flows with the story of the article, mm -hmm. right? And like popping in screenshots and if they have a YouTube channel, like plugging in a YouTube video where it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but that's, that is the secret to the sauce. <laughs> uh, the secret sauce, not the secret to the sauce. Well, I guess it makes sense. sense. Yeah. But that is the secret because also it's two-sided. Like the reader gets to see exactly how the product is used to help solve their problem. Yeah. And then the client also loves it because you're showcasing their brand at the end of the day. And that's, they do want to rank, but they also want to make sure the blog is representing them well to the people who are coming on the page. Yeah. So that's, that's actually always what I stand by. I'm always making sure that there's something related to the product. Mm -hmm. um, even when I'm doing strategy, I'm looking for those more lower, not, they're not always lower volume, but I'm looking for those types of keywords that where I can plug in different products, different product elements. <laughs> or screenshots yeah. or mentions or mm -hmm. call outs or videos. All right. So if I'm to summarize, I would say the first step in the secret recipe or the first ingredient in the secret recipe is to focus on driving in traffic. Correct. And then when you have the traffic, you can start optimizing the article to add the products, add things basically about the products. And um, that can in turn convert into, let's say, buying of the product, becoming paid customers. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And again, the, the direct blog to paid isn't always as easy, but you can definitely get a lot of like free trials are more common from blog. But yeah. um, I mean, we do also work on like down funnel content, but I wouldn't say like directly traffic to a high to like a top funnel keyword. Yeah. You're usually getting the free out of that. And then the brand also should have lower funnel, like bottom funnel content available to then feed to these people in their free trial. Yeah. Um, so so, so yeah, like email so newsletters and the like newsletters, but also in the app itself. Yeah, if there's like a homepage within the app, like maybe they can push relevant content to them. By, there's a lot of different kind of avenues to take, but that would be like the general high, the objective look at things. All right, thank you again for sharing that. Yeah. Now, Let's let's focus on the step one part of it. You're an expert at ranking content on Google. Mm -hmm. You have basically acted. Can you share some of the behind the scenes of that? How do you write content that ranks consistently? What is the magic trick to it? That's a good question. Um, I mean, actually, ironically, SEMrush just released a new study about like basically what it takes to rank content. Um, and it's pretty kind of like pretty similar to the process that I've used to create content. And a lot of it revolves around the content relevance. Mm -hmm. um, and we've even seen content relevance rank, like creating content that is specifically for the query, not like creating like a long ass guide for every single query that you're going after. Yeah. Um, another part of that is having the right people write your content. Mm -hmm. um, so like not farming it out to, you know, inexpensive writers um, and making sure that the people who are actually writing the content have have some first-hand experience on it. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that more and more now since Google's like pushing the EEAT um, like guidelines for content. But yeah, so for me, when I'm like outlining content to start there, the first thing that I'm thinking is like, all right, for this query, what's the answer that they need first? Like besides the SEO crap, right? Like the benefits yeah. of the this, that, the other thing, like sometimes that shit needs to go in the article and, and you just have to deal with it, get over it. Yeah. Everyone lives on such a fucking high horse about it, but you really don't need to. What you need to do is answer the people's questions first, yeah. right? So like, what's the most important information that someone needs when they're searching for a query? If it's how to mix audio with video, say, the first thing you're putting in that article is the steps to get it done yeah. or the video to get it done. And then if there's other things that you find in your research that are like related to the query, right? Like maybe, I don't know if this is actually the case for this query, but carrying along with the how to mix audio with video in the people also ask questions, right? If, yeah. if someone's asking, question like what are the benefits of doing that or what are some examples of doing that yeah that that needs to go into the article as well because mm -hmm. that's everything that people want those are the questions that people have that are related to it you know yeah. so we want to take those types of questions and there's other tools you know i mean i'd like to pull directly from google but there's other tools i don't know i forget the name of them uh, answer the public yeah. stuff like that there's other ways to find the questions that people have Uber suggest Uber suggest there's other ways to find the questions that people have like
like don't just go to the first ranking article which obviously you know they have something going on there um but don't just go there yeah and and rip and replicate everything you say and rip the outline from there yeah you know like there's obviously going to be some crossover you can't help it but look to where you can then improve upon that right like what new information needs to go into those types of pieces that the top articles are missing yeah you know what types of product content can go in there that will actually uh be useful and is relevant to the query so so that's kind of the things that i'm looking at um that have worked really well and then at the end of the day uh, i always pop something i always pop an article through ClearScope, and that is not a sell <laughs> so that's not a sell. i used to be an, i used to be an affiliate for ClearScope, but they don't have an affiliate program anymore and i still use it and i still promote them so the ClearScope report for me comes all the way at the end after we've put in you know like the product content we've we've done the outline are on our own and the the clear scope report is like the icing on the cake okay. right it's like that last finish should just like with the best of hopes as god willing you're sending that article <laughs> off and you're hoping that it's gonna fucking rank yeah. so, so that's the way clear scope is like a little extra security as it's going out the door so if that if that answers your question yeah, it uh, does. i know it's it a does. little bit of a ramble but there's a lot that goes into it a lot of thinking that goes into every piece you know thank you for sharing that i'll give you an example mm -hmm. so when i used to work as an editor i was working with this company that needed to write about let's say the best breweries or the best beer that you can find in maybe let's say texas uh -huh. and you have people still go ahead and the first thing they write for such an article is history of beer making and i know the question is how 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 does that relate to best beers or best breweries. I know. So it's more about giving the people what they want. If the search query is best breweries, give them the best breweries. If you want to talk about the history of beer making, all of that, even though it is very relevant, you can put it at the bottom of the article. If you're more concerned about the word count, put it at the bottom of the article and focus on the search query at the very top, mm -hmm. where people can then see that immediately they click on the article. Yeah, I see that a lot actually when I'm Googling recipes because I'm a very very mediocre cook um, I, <laughs> I do the best that I can for for us my partner and I but we like I do the best that I can to, to take, uh, but to whenever I'm Googling you learned cooking and you were a caterer back then and now you're focusing all of the recipes <laughs> maybe that's why maybe that's why um, but to be fair I was never a chef I was more like line cook and like prep cooking and stuff like that I was never I was never a chef okay because um, that again uh, mixing ingredients like that I don't know if that's my forte but um, whenever I'm like it's funny you mention that because whenever I was googling I google these recipes it always starts with like my kids and I like love this <laughs> recipe and my husband and I and my my grandmother's been making this recipe for 97,000 years before <laughs> humanity existed and I'm like I don't care I don't. Give me a fucking recipe. yeah like tell me what I need to do right now yeah. like, I don't even know that's a whole nother world um you know like mommy bloggers and recipes is a whole industry I don't even want to get into too much <laughs> all right let's get past it yeah how did you go from sending out 20 to 30 code pitches per day on job boards I think you mentioned that on one of your previous tweets yeah so how did you go from that where you used to send 20 to 30 code pitches per day on job boards and Upwork to working with Shopify mm -hmm. Descript Workramp and Upscout what was the journey like yeah so I mentioned in the beginning a little bit the real turning point was actually when I learned SEO okay. um, and that was where that was kind of like how I transitioned out of hitting job boards all the time and like pitching the Upwork connects or and stuff like that. Um, it was learning SEO that really got me out of that because I was able to then show more like I was able to show results from the work that I was doing okay. uh, instead of just like shipping out articles to random companies. Like I'd mentioned, like I didn't even know where these articles were going. <laughs> they were just people asking me for content. Yeah. So that was that. Um, but we're really, we're really took hold actually was, and I credit Jess Green, um, who's now, she's a director at Testbox. Um, but Jess Green taught me how to do content refreshing okay i was trying to think of the year that's why i had a little like brain fart there because i kind of got confused with covid i don't even remember when everything happened but i think it was like five years ago now mm -hmm. um jess green taught me how to do the content refreshing and she she told me how to do process and everything like that um and that was where i really was able to start getting in with bigger brands was because i had a very niche specialty okay. that i was very good at because jess taught me everything <laughs> that i knew and then combining like the good writing 
and now like the refreshing process and everything, it all kind of came together yeah. to create the workflow that I have now. And I ended up working with some of those brands through people who recommended me who knew that I did refreshing. And around the time, like it was like, it was, I think it was pre up, but I think it was like right around COVID in the beginning um, where people started doing a lot more refreshing because everyone was cranking out so much new content. Yeah. Everything was kind of getting saturated and everyone was leaving content off to the side and everyone realized it was a lot cheaper and more effective <laughs> to do refreshing. Yeah. Um, so kind of like catching that wave and being a little more public about it um, helped. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was really nailing down like a specialty. And that's not every case. That's not every writer's or marketer's story. Um, True. Some people, well, some people are just good. Some people are good writers. Some people are good investigative journalists. Like everyone has like a very particular thing that they're good at. Yeah. And that's how they get in with some of these like bigger names, you know, like Forbes, Independent. Like they always, they have a very particular thing about them. Yeah. Um, you know, like an example outside of like what I do is like Kaylee Moore, who has, she does content ops, but she's also very good at investigative journalism within like e-commerce and fashion trends and everything so getting yourself known about something and then letting people talk for you um i would say is pretty much like how i transitioned out of that okay um and it was constantly like a building process like i never and this is just my personality as well is i have naturally curious so i always wanted to know like okay how do i like what's next or what do i add to this and how do I, what else is there out there like i'm really uh i'm really like a 100 percent person like go all the way or don't do it at all yeah um and again that's very that's a very particular personality type uh -huh. uh, not everyone's like that but that's how i'm it's just constantly pushing it's a beautiful personality yeah it's just been constantly keep constantly pushing since day one and i really like what i do you know like obviously i have some days where i'm like this is so fucking boring you know but like <laughs> then i have the majority like the thing is is also really just liking what you do yeah. and, and to add yeah, to that that's true that brings me to this question then if you were to do it all over would you still be a content marketer uh -huh. Or will you get a van and go camp somewhere, probably like the Wenatchee River, now that Starlink is <laughs> well, a Well, I've done both. I did both of them at the same time. <laughs> so if I had to do it all over again, I would probably do it the same exact way that I already that I did it. So I would follow the same path mm -hmm. um, because I think I really am grateful for like the path that was laid out for me. Yeah. And I would actually, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it at all because at this point, you know, I really love my life and I love my work and I love that. I love that what content has given me all the things that content has given me and like enabled me to do in this life so far yeah um so i wouldn't if i had to go back and do it all over again i would probably follow it step by step um until i got to sitting here right now talking on the marketing over wine podcast <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> so most people just getting into marketing ask this question a lot mm -hmm. the question is how much do i charge mm -hmm. and the idea behind that is usually they want to know how to set their rates whether they're just starting out or based on the number of years of experience that they already have yeah for you how do you set your rates and in the same vein what is the right time to up those rates so i would say in my all right well i'll answer the first part first and then the time to up those rates okay um so setting your rates yeah for me i always have an end of the year kind of income goal okay so say for example like i wanted to make ninety five thousand dollars pre-tax post-tax whatever your choice um say you want to make 95 grand for the year uh then i would look to see like all right like what does that look like break that out into what that looks like every month and then break that down into what that looks like within working hours of the month Okay. how long it takes you to write an article and then kind of going backwards from the math. Um, and I'm really bad at math without a calculator. <laughs> so I can't exactly tell you what that what that breaks out to be. Um, but it would be starting there. So for like, let's look at maybe on a smaller time scale, like say it takes you six hours to write an article. Um, you want to make you want to make $1,800 a week, right? So it takes you six, six hours to write an article, you want to make 1800, you can do that by charging $600 an article, right? 12, 18, yeah, and that's six, six, twelve. That's eighteen hours yeah. of work, and you can make eighteen hundred dollars a week. Um, and and so pricing things out like that, and it's always been for me. It's always been, and it still is to this day. Is what's my hourly rate? It's not what I quote forward, obviously, because I just do project. I do per article rate, but it's how much how much money do I want to make an hour? Okay. You know, like do I want to make one hundred an hour, one fifty, two hundred, two fifty, three hundred, three fifty, and like what work can I fit into those hours? To you know, like what project? How can I break out those projects? so I am making the hourly rate that I want to make. Okay. Um, 
And so, I mean, an example is like as simple as that. It's yeah. like, you know, if you want to make $1,800 a week and it takes you six hours to write an article, $100 an hour, you know, you're only working 18 hours. Yeah. Um, that's very doable. And that's really good money, $1,800 a week, you know? Yeah, it is. So you're basically starting at the end and working backwards. Yes, exactly. And again, you could do it on a smaller time frame, uh, but I usually have like an end of the year, like income goal that I want to hit and then have to work backwards from there. Like, yeah. So like yearly, monthly, weekly, day. Hourly. You know, and then pricing out projects like so. Yeah, an hourly, an hourly, of course. Um, and then pricing out the projects to your fit. Um, when is the right time to up those rates? So this is a this is actually like a two-part answer. Um, and the second part, I actually don't have like the right answer for. So maybe if someone else could <laughs> fill me in how it works. Um, but in the beginning, I was upping my rates every single new client that I got. I never, I never did the same. I never priced the same for each new client. Okay. Now, even if it was like a 5%, 50 bucks, 100 bucks per article, like I was upping it every single time because I was like, I have more clients, I have more samples to show for. Yeah. That's how I did it. So for me, it was every time I got a new client, I was upping the rate, even if it was 25 bucks, you know, a small amount, just so I was making more money. But there is in content, there is a price ceiling. And anyone will tell you that there is a price ceiling. It's very different for everybody. You know, some people make 1650 an article, some people I've talked to make 200, $2,200 an article, but everyone has a ceiling. Okay. Um, so there, is, there does come a point where like you really can't up your rates anymore because you price yourself out of the market. Yeah. And so that's where you kind of have to get creative. And that's the second part that I don't have an answer to. So like <laughs> the thing is, is like you keep the thing for me was like keep upping the price until someone said no. And then when someone said no, why? Yeah. You know, like what what could I do then to show how much I'm worth? And maybe you know maybe it's like learn SEO, learn how to write product content, learn how to write case studies, whatever. You know. Yeah. The best thing about freelance writing and marketing in general is that you can create any path that you want to create. There's no one there to limit you besides yourself. So you can kind of just keep segueing and moving into different sectors and like create this whole like beautiful scheme for yourself. Um, you know what I mean? Like, and then you just keep going up until you find what your glass ceiling is. Okay. Um, and I haven't upped my rates. I haven't upped my rates in quite some time um, because for me, I, I like my rates. I'm comfortable with them. My clients are comfortable with them and I'm not looking to, I'm happy with everything, you know? So, and I've definitely hit a glass ceiling. <laughs> I know I've definitely hit like a very, uh, not glass. If it was glass, we can go through it. But for me, it's been a ceiling and I'm not interested in going past it at this point in time. So. All right. Speaking of money, since you've brought that up now, uh -huh. what's the least you have been paid and what's the most you have been paid as a SaaS content marketer? Um, are you talking like per article? Yeah, per article, per project, per gig, any of them. Hmm. Well, the least was, you know, on a per article rate, the least I've been paid was um, $25 an article, right? That was like the least back in the day. Okay. Uh, and then the most I've ever gotten was like, I think it was a dollar and 10 cents per word. Wow. Um, and that because, yeah, like based on word count. Um, and again, I was actually, that was kind of like a trial thing. I really didn't like the pricing by word, but I did try it. Um, and I don't have those clients anymore, but that was <laughs> like 1.1 per word. Yeah. 1.1 per word was, um, was the highest I've ever been paid. And given the standard articles, like what, like 2,000, 2,500 words, you know, we can let the listeners do the math from there. I think that, that's beautiful. It is, it is. But it's the thing with that is it's kind of, it's such a, uh, oh my God, I forget the, I forget what the metaphor, not a metaphor. It's such a catch 22 because yeah, like, great. You're making $2,000 an article. That's amazing. Right. But per word count is very hard for clients to budget. I mean, like I said, those clients that I was charging by word for a little bit, I don't have any of them anymore. <laughs> the only ones that I've retained over the years and I don't ever lose clients. I keep them for a very, very long time. Okay. Um, and the only ones that I've retained are the ones where I'm on like a very, like, this is the rate. We both know exactly. They know they're getting an article. I know I'm getting this amount and we're all very happy with each other. One very happy family. So. All right. Then. Thank you for sharing that again. Sure. Different marketers have different methods for getting hired. I've asked you something like this earlier on. Uh, someone on Twitter once shared that for him, he writes blogs that B2B SaaS CMOs will see and want to hire him because of those articles he has written. Mm -hmm. Other people say they focus on building a personal brand on LinkedIn. Yep. You see them making posts day to day on LinkedIn about something they feel people will want to hire them for. Okay. Other people again use Instagram. For you, what is yours? What moves the needle the most for you? Yeah. So all of those things never worked for me. So <laughs> things that you mentioned. Um, 
the people that come through me from stuff that they read online, they are always the shittiest leads. Uh, they never have enough money. <laughs> they never have anything, really. They don't have a strategy. So I, in the beginning of uh, Mark, I actually have a podcast episode with Elise about this also. Yeah. That uh, Elise Dobson, for, for record. In that, I actually took a very, I had a mentor back in the day and he was very like low key. Not in Mark, he was, he's not a marketer. He's in UX design. Okay. Uh, but he's a very low key, like never, never promotes his brand keeps his like circle very small um, and I did that you know for a little bit after I kind of started getting trapped after I came off Upwork and then I then I thought I needed to be all like in the public eye and everything and I really hated it yeah. I really hated being in the public eye and, and nothing it wasn't working and it's just not for me and so I went back to kind of like just being quiet and what for me what it's always been was my client relationships are very very good okay um, in terms of like I bend over back <laughs> I'm constantly like bothering them in Slack for like, I'm like, tell me what I need to do to be better. Yeah. You know, like how else can we support the brand? What else do you need from me? I'll do anything. Backflips out the window, you know? <laughs> um, and so what that's done, um, that type of attitude, again, that's, that's coming doing full circle. That's like that restaurant mentality, yeah. right? Like the customer's always right. I'll do anything for them. Yeah. Um, and I get, I, everything comes through referral now. Um, I have not, I've not gotten one good client in recent years that wasn't through someone telling someone about me well then then they contact me through through email and then we set up a call and we go from there um yeah the, the whole like doing the linkedin i know it works i mean brooklyn nash is like his whole agency runs off of his like linkedin acquisition yeah. and everything you know like but i don't have the desire or the energy to be creating linkedin content and instagram content and blog content and twitter content i spend all my day in front of a fucking computer <laughs> as it is i don't want to be spending more time in front of a computer once I'm done, once the computer's off, I'm done. Like I have no interest in creating content. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of been my story in that sense. So that's how client acquisition comes from referrals, but that comes from having good client relationships. Okay. Um, and yeah, and I, like and like I said, like a lot of my clients I have for years, I don't really lose a lot of them unless I'm charging per word, um, which I've always lost. <laughs> so. I'm not worth it, I guess. I'm not worth a dollar or plus a word. So. <laughs> uh, before this call, before this podcast you sent this email where you said you prefer talking more about content operations rather than content strategy yeah yeah so now imagine that someone reaches out to you and says that they are trying to learn content operations they're trying to build the content operations framework yeah and they want to learn from you how to build one how do you build your content operations framework and what's the process like for you oh my god dude we're gonna need a whole nother podcast episode to go through <laughs> how to build the content up from about from bottom from scratch um to, to try and like shorten that up okay um so for me the like let's start with that the content operations involves freelancers right because okay. there's a lot of talk um in recent years you know about like and a lot in the past like 18 months a lot of people have moved in-house or getting rid of freelancers and everything yeah um and it's been a real mess like from what i've seen from other brands and stuff and just from talking to other writers okay so when you are building a content operation what i'm referring to is working with freelancers and what I like to do is obviously everything starts with a good brief yeah right that has to be but it even goes back to before the briefing okay right and when I'm working when I'm running the agency side of things and I'm working with the freelancers I don't put too much on the freelancers and maybe that's because I am a freelancer like I worked with one company one time yeah. and they had a whole a fucking onboarding call <laughs> there was like four different platforms to sign up for there was like another thing you had to do the you had to talk to the like the finance team and i was like get uh, yeah, out of yeah. here and then they ended up shutting down the operation like three months later i was like wow. this was such a waste of time so the beginning of all the good content operations if you want to work with good freelancers is by not overwhelming them to start with yeah. so i keep everything in one i keep everything in google tables yeah tables it's in beta um in the us okay um and it's where everyone sees everything um, my onboarding email is a tone like a document that says like this is the client like i i know already going out when i'm looking for everyone like mm -hmm. who's gonna be a good fit for this client um so they have the tone of voice they have all the information they need with like the help docs and how to find product content and everything and then outside of that it's keeping things pretty damn simple you know yeah. like we give we we give the writers 10 days to write a first draft. The editors have three days to turn around the editing draft. So okay. you can produce a good article within two weeks 
right? Which is like kind of a goal. I think that's a good time frame yeah. um, to to put out good content, um, especially at scale. Yeah, you know where you're working on multiple articles at one time. Um, so keeping everything in that one place, giving everyone very clear expectations and time frames. But I think the the biggest bottleneck that we see that everyone tries to solve for happens in the editing, mm-hmm. right? Like they think the freelancer isn't that good, but they never gave the freelancer all the information that they needed to write on behalf of the brand. <laughs> you know, and like if the thing is also with some content managers, they expect so much from the freelancers, they don't want to do any of the work themselves. Yeah. Well, tough shit. You know, like you can't expect a freelancer to know everything about a brand. Yeah. Um, so one of the ways that we solve for a bottleneck, and I do this at an agency scale, it's not even, you can do this in-house a lot easier. Okay. You hire one person to QA every single article after editing. And that QA person makes sure the article is just fantastic. And they add, they can add product content in there. They can, you know, like add a video if it's needed. And that has sped up. I don't know, on LinkedIn recently, we posted about it. Um, the one thing I did post on LinkedIn, <laughs> um, but we, cra- we, the agency put out in just about 20 days, we put out 90 articles wow. at the end of it in December, because we had a big client expectation to meet. Um, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't 90. My God, it was 50. <laughs> Jesus, sorry. It was 90. 90 was, we did 90 over six weeks, wow. but we did 50 within those two weeks. So, and that QA layer was massive. Also, I spend a shit ton of money on good writers. Yeah. You know, that's the other part. Like you can't get good writing. You can't expect to have a good content operation if you're not working with good writers. Uh-huh. Um, the editors, you know, they're well-versed in the brand. And then that QA layer, that QA layer speeds everything up. Like by the time it comes to the end, where it's time to ship, that thing is clean. We never get edits back ever from a client because we hire good writers. We have good editors. We have a QA person going yeah. and make sure they, the QA person is the key and they are the person that works on behalf of the client for like the agency like they're not a client but like the goal is for them to pretend they're the client if they're reading us like is this good yeah. you know like is this good enough to be on the client's blog if yes get it get it out there if no add what it needs and like let's get it moving yeah. um, and I think overall in general everyone complicates content operations and it's really not that complicated at all um, it's actually really quite simple you know you need good writers you need a good editor to be real with the writers and then you need a QA person and yeah you need a good you need a content manager to get involved as well definitely so you were able to summarize it down to i think about two or three minutes ish yeah so. <laughs> i mean i could go into the tool stacks and everything but we really don't have enough time yeah. so like, <laughs> uh behind you there, there are lots of books behind you oh yeah so speaking of them what books are in marketing but marketers need to read them which would you recommend okay wow um so uh this one definitely company, company of, of one, one by paul jarvis okay yeah you may have heard of it a lot of people have heard of it paul jarvis is a great guy he's also really smart <laughs> there's also oh i have them all in one place that's nice mm-hmm. there's also content design by sarah richards um also a very good book um related to content and then how to make sense of any mess by abby Colbert. and this isn't related really to marketing yeah. but it's very broad like it how do I, it's not, I wouldn't say broad, actually. It helps you make sense of a mess no matter what type of mess it is, no matter what industry you're in. It's like a framework to look at things. Yeah. And I feel like this is like what helped me put together like a more simplified operation. Okay. Because every operation is so nuts that I've been a part of that I'm like, why are we making things so difficult? <laughs> um, and again, there's a lot of factors that go into it. If you're producing 300 articles a month, that's really, really, that's a lot of content. Yeah. But you know, but like we're talking like, there's so much complications when people are producing like 16 articles a month <laughs> and it takes them forever. I'm like, what are you guys doing? You're wasting so much money like this. Um, but anyway, so how to make sense of any mess um, is a really good one if you just want to like simplify your work and your life even. So um, I would definitely recommend those three and then I think that's it, yeah. Um, this is also a really good one by Maddie Osman, Writing for Humans and Robots. Um, this is a good one for, for writers and marketers. The new ways of content star. Yeah, and she and she has like super specific examples. Um, I know if this is on, I don't know, I know we're on video, but if this is on audio also, you're not gonna be able to see it. But yeah, yeah she's got really specific like examples from her years of running her agency. And it's uh, it's just a really great book. So I would also recommend that. 
and recommend i'd also recommend reading fiction books definitely. because it teaches you how to tell a story so i like to read a lot of i like to read a lot of fiction definitely at the beginning you mentioned having an agency mm -hmm. how do you spot the right IA for your agency what are the signs that you understand what you need them to do the roles and responsibilities yeah so a lot of that comes from i will say i'm privileged enough to have like peak freelance yeah. so there are a lot of writers that i already know who are going to be good for a project like um i know that's not the case for everybody but if you are looking to hire writers like i would go into peak freelance <laughs> as a Definitely. content manager or strategist or whatever and i would look for people you know in the group because yeah like so what i do is i'll just go and i'll look and see if this writer has experience writing about the topics that i'm writing about you could put a call out also and then just vet people um, but i am looking for uh experience right because my the agency works within the confines of seo you know 90 percent of the content is to get it to rank online that we work on yeah um so working with it, writers who have experience in the topics that we're talking about obviously helps yeah. it allows you to produce content from a unique perspective as well versus just like someone who's ripping from page one yeah yeah so are you hiring presently <laughs> at the moment actually no we're, we're not okay. um, so i'm actually i'm at the client peak uh the client maximum for peak agency so we'd have to lose a client in order to gain a client to then hire writers um but if someone drops off do you want to throw your, your name in the hat Definitely. because <laughs> <laughs> i would love to yeah you're on my list if, if something comes up but yeah so we do we have a client maximum because i just am way too lazy and i don't care enough to grow a big agency so i want a small <laughs> operation <laughs> maybe i'm also a control freak i don't know it could be all those things but all right, then. now when i was reading out the bio i mentioned that you worked with shopify mm -hmm. descript and a host of other leading brands mm -hmm. and that's really huge those accomplishments and those successes along your career journey are really huge but let's spin that around and let's give it a twist okay what has also been your career's biggest challenges and how did you overcome them my career's biggest challenge oh uh, <laughs> <laughs> my career's biggest challenge um let me think that's a good question i would say the biggest challenge for me was actually creating peak freelance okay. um granted elise created peak freelance and she brought me on early enough where i could call myself a co-founder <laughs> um but i think the which is true it was a patreon group um and i think she made the patreon group in october and then asked me in november to like expand the brand with her okay um and that's how it was early enough to where i became a co-founder um i was given i was granted the privilege of being co-founder from her um so she shared her brand with me okay. um but i would say that that was actually the biggest challenge um of my career thus far because it forced me to come out of my shell um and it forced me to have to like be more public okay um and i still don't really like being public <laughs> but i'll i'll chat you up in slack that's fine but it did um it did force me to come out of my shell and that was a real challenge because i wasn't used to i always looked at freelancing from the perspective of like i'm solo and i like being solo and i don't want like people around me yeah um and that's how i got into that's was my you know my feelings and my perspective when i went into freelancing originally yeah that's what i knew it as right like the single person sitting in a coffee shop typing on the uh -huh. computer um but through like coming out of my shell and growing peak freelance as a community it really did like it was a challenge it was like a mental challenge to do that and put myself out in public like that okay um yeah and i really like i love like i couldn't imagine now working without having the people that i met in peak freelance in my life you know like all yeah, the things that yeah. peak freelance has brought us you know like i talk to elise every morning on this thing you know like until she's done with work in the uk uh -huh. so um, which is like now <laughs> um so that was the challenge was creating content that was going to be more publicly viewed and and just like me representing a brand <laughs> which is weird all right so what's your best piece of advice today for aspiring and new marketing professionals yeah do things on your own even if you're working in-house mm. um build a separate blog for you build a separate build you know build a separate brand whatever yeah instagram whatever yeah. platform you want to use build it build your own brand for yourself because that company may not be your company forever you yeah, can get laid off yeah. you get whatever you know but and then maybe at some point you just don't want to work for a company anymore but if you already have like 
a repertoire of things that represent you and can show that you're a good writer or a good marketer or whatever, it puts you in a lot better position when you are pitching and someone comes or someone just finds you online. Mm -hmm. You know, like one of one of my clients that I have, um, so I made a tweet like I don't even remember in like 2021 <laughs> or something. And it was like I was complaining because I wanted to get like pricing about a product and they the only way I could get pricing was if I scheduled a meeting with the people and I just hate that because yeah. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to know the price. Um, and I tweeted about it and then in my email communications with my now client, they referenced that tweet. So it's even <laughs> like the smallest thing, yeah. right? Like when people when people want to work with you, they go and look for you online, whether you think they do or not, whether they show you or not. So everything that you put out represents you. Yeah. And so, you know, that would be my tip is like, even if you are, whether you're freelance, whether you're in-house, start building something for yourself yeah. um, and something that you own because no company can own what you put out for yourself unless you're putting it on the company account. But that's the point. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think a lot of us make that mistake early. I, I kept putting off uh, marketing over wine for the longest of time uh-huh. to the layoff happened. And yeah, I think many of us make that mistake. Yeah, well, I mean, you did it. So that's Thankfully. the important part. <laughs> <laughs> Winding down, what are some of the tools that you use day to day to make your work as a sales content marketer easier? All right, um, you're going to love this. So I use the Notes app on my computer, on my Apple computer, on my Mac <laughs> computer. I use it every single day. Yeah. Um, I use Trello for freelance stuff. I use tables, Google tables for the agency calendars. Okay. Um, and then I use FreshBooks for the freelancing and then I use QuickBooks for the agency for if that matters. Uh, an accounting software. Yeah. Um, and then I use SEMrush and then for my eight for my tool. So it all came out. If anyone's been listening this whole time, which I hope you have, now you know what I use. Um, I switched to the biggest. Yeah, I, I was about to say that, that you already I put know, out. I switched to the <laughs> biggest competitor. <laughs> I switched to the biggest competitor. Um, and don't ask me why because I'm not going to answer it on pub- in public um so and then outside of that yeah those that's my tool kit and then obviously like the google workspace mm-hmm. obviously so i even i track so much shit in google sheets <laughs> that i should just create um a SaaS product on top of my google sheets <laughs> it's not pretty they don't look pretty but it, everything is in there so yeah that's my tool stack it's very simple uh i keep it pretty well i guess also anything that's google right like google analytics google search console google docs google but that should go without saying all right you brought tequila but beside tequila what is your favorite type of wine sauvignon blanc i do love sauvignon blanc looks like the favorite among many of the people i've talked to yes i love them dry i love really dry like crisp wine dry white wine Um, yeah yeah more crisp yeah and and that's sauvignon blanc um the ones from new zealand right yeah more um, I'm, I'm not a wine snob, so I really don't know all these things, but I'm pretty sure it comes from New Zealand. <laughs> I think it's the same thing. Uh, when I was talking to Grace, Grace Nikkei, she mentioned loving Sauvignon Blancs too. Uh-huh. I think it's from New Zealand also that she talked about. Yeah, from Marlboro. They have a real, like, I love the wines that come out of there, the Sauvignon Blancs in particular. So that is my favorite type of wine. And I would be drinking it if it wasn't a little 10 o'clock in the morning when we started <laughs> doing this. So. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Where can we go to find you? I know you don't like being found on social media no, but where can now. we go to find yeah, it yeah i'm over it now okay. <laughs> that was the past me but yeah so you can find me on twitter where i'm not active you can find me on linkedin where i'm not active either <laughs> <laughs> you can join peak freelance and slack where i'm not active either so those are all the places that you can find me your best chances of getting in touch with me are inside of Slack, um, but also I don't have tw- I don't have X, X or Twitter on my phone. Um, I probably go on Twitter and LinkedIn like once a week. Um, but if you can figure out who I am on Reddit, then okay. you can probably find me there. But I can't give that away because Reddit's anonymous. So uh, thank you so much once again for coming on this show. And uh, this brings us to the end of the episode. It's been really fun talking to you, Mike. I know, Ulamumi. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Marketing Over One. To listen to more career stories or marketing professionals around the world, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any podcast app of your choice. Or simply visit marketingoverwine.com to stay up to date.